Just to start, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us as a church and just pray for our country and our world, and then we'll get into the sermon. Oh God, I pray for us as a church that we will see just where we stand right now. Give us maybe even just prophetic insight into where we stand in, in relation to our world and where we stand in relation to eternity so we can take these moments very seriously. We are habitual offenders of time, um, ignoring it or pretending as if it's not as important to take every second um, as if it's worth putting all our energy into. And, And God, I pray that you will just help us to acknowledge you God, with all our hearts, with all our souls, with every thought, God, with the strength that we go about each day to not waste any of it. I, I know the stories of some of those here and what they're preparing for. I think of the camps and they're preparing for so much this summer. Um, I pray that this will be a time of spiritual filling for them. Um, others in this church facing different challenges. We pray for the, the wisdom and the strength to face those. For others who have just incredible things to celebrate. God, that your joy will just be full in them. And they'll be able to acknowledge you and your goodness in those things. I know some who are out sick today. We pray for your healing for them. God, I'm looking past ourselves to, um, to our nation and our world. God, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. God, we know that there's many, many cultures that have set themselves up as alternatives to your, your good kingdom culture of righteousness. And, and we just we pray for the light to invade the darkness, uh, for your truth to be made known through us and through our brothers and sisters around the world. We think especially of those who are uh, suffering, when they mention the name of Jesus, that they are, they are hurt because of that. Um, God, we pray for their courage and we pray to share in their courage. Um, but God, today, just make us, make us like you in our thinking, we pray, in our feeling, in our acting. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, if you have been with us, you know that we are going through a sermon series on the kingdom of God. Um, if you have not been with us now, you do know that. Um, I'm going to catch you guys up to speed on, on where we're at. Um, and, and I encourage you guys, if you've been with us, not to, not to tune this part out. Because <laughs> truth is so precious. And I would say even so rare in its articulation in the world that whenever it is talked about, whenever true things are spoken, I encourage you always to give it your full attention, because I think we are so, um, man, just polluted, I guess would probably be the right word, by, by information that is, a lot of it's meaningless. It's not bad, but maybe it's just meaningless, and we just get so much, I think it starts to begin edging out um, both maybe what we know, and, and also maybe diluting what we know. Um, 
I think you would find, if you just started sharing, if someone just mentioned a theme in the Bible and said, you know, <laughs> Holy Spirit, go. Most of you guys, probably if you sat down, would have this wealth of insight because you've, a lot of you have sat under preaching or, or biblical teaching for a long time. You have it there, right? And so I encourage you guys, even as we, we look again at, at what the kingdom of God means, to, to also store it and begin thinking about how to use that and, and share that to other people. So where we begin with the kingdom of God is that God is king. Not king in the temporary sense, not of an empire that could fade away like every other empire ever has. Um, we have a God who has no beginning to his reign and no end to his reign, but somewhere in the middle of his sovereign great power that is incomparable to anything else, nothing can challenge that. Nothing is anything like it. Right? Somewhere in the, the middle of his sovereign, powerful, unchallenged existence, he decided to create the world. Okay? We're a, we're a blip on the radar. And he decided because of his goodness and his greatness and his love and his beauty and creativity to create a world. And part of that creation, he created special. He created to, to bear his image in a unique way, to show his goodness and greatness to everything else. That when, when, when anything else in creation saw people, Men and women, they were meant to see the goodness and greatness of God. So God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created the male and female they were created. In the image of God. So God, who is great and powerful, made us to reign with him. He, he gave us place and position. He gave us power and authority. And that, that defines our existence. It should define our existence. But instead of that defining our existence, we chose to substitute God's place for lesser things in our lives. And that was several Sundays ago. We talked about the bad news. Instead of glorifying and honoring God, who is forever and ever and ever king, we chose to worship other things. And what that created in us was this, in that substitution of, of literally abdicating our rule and giving it to another, that created this, this world at war and this world at conflict, where instead of knowing our, who we are and knowing our, our position and our power, our relationship with the world and our relationship with God, what happened was we became a world in conflict. So we became in conflict with one another, right? And we became in conflict with God himself, in conflict with creation and all the other things. And, and this is sort of our existence. And if you don't know it as conflict, you know it as awkwardness. When you go into a room, <laughs> we've talked about this, when you go into a room and you're like, uh, I wonder if they'll like me, <laughs> right? Like, it, it be... Instead of knowing our place, all of a sudden we were displaced. Instead of living in a kingdom of righteousness and goodness, we, we live in, in a culture and a place where we are uncertain almost at all times of who we are and where we stand in relationship to, to everything else. 
So how would we respond to that? Well, the way we respond to that is we started building our own kingdoms. Right? <laughs> we started with, you have um, the Tower of Babel, right? As they, as they build their way to the sky to try to take down God. Right? And we looked from the Tower of Babel on as we had judges, and it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, from the judges, we, we get to Samuel, who was the last judge. And, and then the people who have seen the, the nations around them and the kings that they've had, they said, give us a king. And God says, Samuel, give them a king. It's not you they're rejecting, but it's me that they're rejecting. And so we have built our kingdoms. We have rejected God as king, which seems crazy, but we have. And so what was the next step? The next step was God made a promise to restore his kingdom through a guy named David, who was this little pipsqueak shepherd out in fields that everyone had forgotten. And God said, through this man, I'm going to bring my kingdom, a forever kingdom. And so we looked at what that would mean for God to restore his kingdom. Last week we saw the return of the king and Jesus coming and giving his inaugural address, um, also known as the Sermon on the Mount, um, and showing what a culture of his kingdom would look like, which is happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who realize that, that when they look deep within them, there's poverty. There, there isn't everything they need. Happy are those who, when they see that, they, they experience sorrow, good, godly sorrow, because they haven't lived well. <laughs> and from that, man, happy are those who, who, from that sorrow, grow in humility. This is the culture of the kingdom, right? Those who realize that spiritually they are needy, because of that there is sorrow, because of that, they grow humble, and from that comes a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And it says that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. And that is the beginning of the kingdom. This reawakening of the kingdom in us. What does it look like when the kingdom of God comes? Well, what it looks like is we realize we need it. <laughs> we mourn because we have not participated in it. And we're humbled by the fact that maybe God would ever offer us that again. And then from there, we begin with this great earnest desire to, to just want it, right? To hunger and thirst after righteousness that somehow, maybe some way, we can experience satisfaction again. And that was, that was Jesus' inaugural address. That was him coming out and saying, I am king and this is what it looks like to be a part of my kingdom. And so this week, what we're going to look at is, so how do we respond to that? If God's come out as king, if he said, Jesus is king, Jesus came and started, started speaking like the king, how would we respond to that? And, and how we respond to that isn't how you would expect us to respond to the re-entry of the king, Right? But the fact is, even though we think we're pretty awesome and intelligent, right, and I, I'm, that's not even a joke. That's like, <laughs> we're like, if you were just, if you just made it simple and plain, God, if you just, like, we're clear about it, of course I'd be on your side. But, but John tells us a very different story. 
In John chapter 1, it says this. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And so how would we respond to the return of the king? Well, the way we'd respond to the return of the king is that though the world, though the whole thing, right, this blip in the radar called planet Earth, galaxies, cosmos, right, <laughs> though that was all created by him, it says what? It says that he came to his own, though they were created through him, that they didn't receive him. That means their creator walked past and they were like, idiot. Literally, that's, that's what happened. That we're, so, we're so convinced, I think, of, of our own awareness that they missed out. And the question is, will we miss out or will we receive? So we're going to be in Matthew 13, and um, I encourage you guys all to turn there with me. We're going to spend a lot of time, and what we're going to look at this week is, is uh, stories of the kingdom, um, one in particular um, called the parable of the sower. And this is called Sights and Sounds of the Kingdom because um, what this talks about a lot is, is seeing and hearing. And can you see and can you hear what God is doing and what God is saying? Can you see and can you hear? Do, do you, when you look, do you see the kingdom? Do you see God at work? When you hear truth, do you receive it? Or, or does it sound to you like something that is obnoxious, or something worth mocking, or just something that is like buzzing in your ear? So, first three verses of Matthew 13 go like this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So, so context here is um, Jesus has already started sharing with people, and, and this seems like a very casual environment here. You, you perceive in Jesus a, a sort of casualness here, but in, in everyone else there's this curiosity about who Jesus is. There's this flocking to him. And so Jesus is very simply like, I'm leaving the house, I'm going to the lake, I'm sitting down by the lake. And then you have all these people that gather around him, so he's like, I'm not sitting by the lake, I'm sitting in a boat now, right? Because there are just so many people who are, who are around Jesus. And then, and then Jesus begins speaking to them. And I, and I want you to, to take off your, I've heard this story a lot of times, or, or like I'm just reading the Bible cap. And just, just hear this, because I wouldn't expect Jesus to talk like this. If I came, if I like set aside my plowing for the day, or banking, or pot making, or, or whatever I would do in first century Judea, <laughs> if I left that for the day and came to listen to Jesus, I would be a little disappointed. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places 
where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell along the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so what was their response? Well, I think their response was disappointment. I think those who had come a long ways left, most of them at least, going, why did we go? We, we could have been doing what we did every day and, and not heard an agricultural lesson. And yet his disciples come to him and they ask him, because maybe they were disappointed. Maybe they were too. Maybe they were just like, okay, we gave up everything already. We're going to try again. And so they come to Jesus and they ask him, why did you speak to the people in parables? And he explains to them why he would speak to them in parables. And this is, this is really important for us. And this is very hard for us. This is not easy scripture, but this is going to bring us to the place of seeing Jesus, hopefully, in, in a very um, true way. And so Jesus' explanation to them is this. He says, because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So what is Jesus saying? Who is this Jesus? Who, who I think it, it strikes us and catches us by surprise because, because this isn't the Jesus we usually hear about. And so, so what I want us to start hearing is I want us to hear Jesus, not hear oftentimes the other ways Jesus is talked about. And I'm going to name two in particular. And, and one of those is um, the Jesus of everyone is out. And the Jesus of everyone is in. And what I mean by this is, uh, we were at a Mariners game recently, a couple of us, and we were walking towards it. And there's already a lot of hubbub when you go down towards a Mariners game, right? There's, like, guys selling peanuts. like Dan- You know the old guy with, like, the red like, jacket who's, like, selling peanuts? And he's like, you know, and, uh, and you're like, no, right? And you start dancing, and you don't really mean to. Like, so you're going, and, and there's a lot going on. And, and this particular time... Uh, there was this big truck, and there was those people holding signs, you know, that were like, you're going to burn hell. <laughs> Happy birthday. You know, like, it, it's just like, I, you, you, don't, you don't know, like, how 
they think this is going to make anyone come up and say, like, hey, I really want to talk to you about this. But, but this, is, this is Jesus of everyone's out, which means you're all out, unless you come and talk to them. Because I, I have talked to, to them before, and literally, even if you come up and you go, hey, I'm a Christian, I, I just want to know where you're coming from, they'll still try to convert you, because you don't know their way. Right? They're still going to give you their Bible, because their, their Bible is probably better than your Bible. And, and, and so that form of Jesus is out, like everyone's out, is, is one way people go about this. And, and it might be helpful for you to see what I mean by everyone is in. What I mean by everyone is in is you'll also hear people who, this is the more attractive way. It's like, hey, Jesus is pursuing you. He loves you. There's nothing you could ever do that would make Jesus upset. Right? God just is crazy about you. Right? And, and that, this is like this Jesus is, is just everyone is in. There is nobody out. And so with those, I, it doesn't help you actually understand the scripture, either one of those. Does that make sense? I'm going to read for you in Exodus 34 a passage that, that I think in my life I have kind of like veered one direction or the other. On those, and then I get back to the scripture, and I'm like, "Well, okay, neither of those are helping me interpret what who God is from the Bible." So, if you turn with me to Exodus 34, you have. Let me make sure I'm, I'm bringing you to the right place. Yeah, Exodus 34, verses five through seven. And you have God come down to Moses and declare himself to Moses. And this is what he says. He says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of parents of the third and fourth generation. So if I go one way and I'm like, everyone's out. That's not going to help me understand a God who's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and forgiving generations and and thousands of people. But if I'm like, everyone's in... God doesn't care what you do. He just loves you. It it also doesn't help us when we read about a God who also punishes sin. And so I think often at times the way we we approach this, and and I think this is what Jesus is saying in these parables, he goes, some people just won't hear. He goes, no matter how you speak the truth, some people won't hear. And the, the reason for that is, is because I think people are always seeking the kingdom, but they're not seeking Jesus. There, there's, a, there's a big difference, because all of us want the better deal. Right? If I came to you and I was like, do you want to hang out with me, or do you want the Corvette? <laughs> You'd probably be like, Daniel, of course I'm going to spend time with you. <laughs> I'd be like, that's great, because I have the keys. 
So how do we how do we understand God? Well, let me let me share a parable with you. There's a parable I thought up. It's in the Bible. It's fallible. Imagine a child who grew up every summer going to the ocean with their family. And starting from a very young age, I mean, as, as young as they could run, right? Three years old, four years old, they'd go out. And, and at that age, you know, all two foot something of you, you run out. And, and even the smallest waves and breakers terrify you. And what, what does your family tell you? No, the water's good. The water's good. Come play. Come play. It's awesome. And so as you grow up and you get stronger, the ocean becomes a place of pure joy for you because you play in it. Right? You frolic. And then as you grow up, you get more and more confident and all fear, all fear of the water is taken away. You become not just unafraid, but but you lose respect for the ocean. And so you venture further and further out. And one day, the undertow grabs you. And you're sucked out into the ocean. We're going to end good, don't worry. And then you find the rep curl and you come back in. Okay, end of parable. <laughs> so, so what is that? I, I think that shows both sides of this, right? It shows the side of, of just terror and right, fear. Where, where does wisdom begin? Well, the fear of the Lord, recognizing the great and awesome power of God. The great and awesome power of God. That God is a God who does not leave sin unpunished. And yet, if, if we just, if we hear the truth that is, well, God also has grace and he's compassionate and he's slow to anger and abounding in love. And then all of a sudden we move to this other side where we no longer acknowledge the vast greatness of God and we're just like, hey, it's all, it's all play. We have absolutely missed out on the realization of, of who God is. So who, who has ears, let them hear. And so these are the parables Jesus is telling for people to all come, if they want, to Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't give the parables so we can go and tinker with them on ourselves like riddles to be figured out. But he gives himself, which is the ultimate parable. And, and that's, that's where we understand these, is that the parable itself isn't holding truth, but the one who tells the parable is the one holding truth. Does that make sense to you guys? Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And so these parables aren't words that in them hold truth and in them hold power. That you can take and you can use however you want. You can figure out for yourself. But what is required is the parable Himself, who is Jesus, the living parable of God, right? Who, when we see Jesus, we're meant to understand what God is communicating. Mind blown, right? Okay. So then Jesus comes and he explains to his disciples the parable of, of who will understand and what are the hindrances to people understanding the word. 
And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn back to Matthew 13. So Jesus says, listen then, this is verse 18 in chapter 13, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. So the first seed that fell along the path Even though it says that they, they hear, the evil one comes in just immediately before, before any root can be taken. So they, they've heard, but, but instead of, of the seed taking root at all, it's immediately snatched away. And so what does this look like? Well, this looks like people coming, even maybe to a morning like this, and hearing the word preached, and maybe all of it doesn't make sense, but there, there are parts of it that are just true when we talk about Jesus. And, and what it looks like to immediately be snatched away is when, when mockery in our hearts, right? Or, or doubt that has been planted there. And this, what it says here is that the evil one snatches it away. And so, so when something comes up and immediately there is just... Um, something that, that snatches away completely. And so, so none of the words that have been said appear good or true at all. So, example, right? You leave here this morning, you're like, well, that guy had a lot of nothing to say, right? Well, hopefully none of you leave that way. But, right? but if that was the case, what it's saying here is it's very possible that there was, there was nothing to take root there. It was just snatched away immediately. Right? Because what I'm saying, there is something to, to think about. Right? There's something to hold on to. It's not something for you to take and just understand by yourself. But I think everything we say, we sh- we should, everything's available. Like the disciples come to Jesus and be like, can you make sense of this to Jesus? The next seed fell on uh, the, the rocky path. It says here in verse 20, it says, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. But when troubles or persecution come because of the world, they quickly fall away. And this also, we see all the time. I, I, have, I have met with people after they have come maybe to church for the first time and, and literally, it says they receive it with joy. And so they get it, and then they leave, and they're like, yeah, they're like, that was amazing. Like, like I heard something that I, I just want. I don't even know how to describe it yet. But like, it hit my heart, and it just gave me tons of joy. And yet, that isn't the complete life cycle of a seed, Right? What happens here is that there is no, there's just shallow rooting. And so what they go is they leave and they expect it just to grow by itself. Right? As if, if you can plant a garden. My mom is like a consummate gardener. Like, she's amazing. And, and she doesn't just go out and be like, right, tomatoes grow. Right? <laughs> and then the ground isn't like, yes, tomato. Right? The, what happens is... <laughs> Right? She's tilled the soil, and then she goes out, and she waters it. And, 
and make sure that it is the perfect environment for it to grow, right? And so, so maybe you have something, maybe you even are, are a Christian and something today takes root in your heart. Maybe, maybe it's something like you go, man, I always thought I was just supposed to figure out the Bible and, and he said that Jesus is the word. This isn't, this isn't just a word that I figure out on my own, that Jesus is the word. And like, I go to him and, and he helps me figure it out, right? I like that, right? But if you go and, and you don't, dig deep into that, right? And, and keep pursuing Jesus to explain this to you. What will happen is that it will be shallow and it will just, that joy will get snatched. What happens is worries or persecution, right? Your buddy will come up to you and be like, you went to church? You're an idiot. Right? And all of a sudden, because there's no root, you'll be like, maybe I am. And that's the way it works. Or that self-talk that defeats yourself, right? We'll just come. The next one is the one who falls among the thorns. Verse 22, it says, The seed falling along the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the words of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And so this is even seed that has taken root, has been growing, it has heard the word, And yet the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out. And this can be true for many of us who hear the word and we respond to it. And this is what's sobering about this part. These seeds grow. And yet they never bear fruit. And that's what it says at the very end. It says, making it unfruitful. So never is there a point in their life where they are certain that they are really receivers of the word, I believe. I, mean, I, I talk to people all the time that go, Am, have I received, because it planted in my heart, am I a Christian, is the way we put it, right? Am I a follower of Jesus? And, and the truth, this is, this is the hard one right here, because if you live an unfruitful life, there's nothing that you really have to point to or anyone else has to point to. That's just the re- this hard reality of this. Right? If you want me to make all Jesus' words easy, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Because Jesus' words aren't easy. He says, if you live unfruitful life, there's, there's nothing that anyone can point to or you can point to to say, yeah. Because it's those who receive, it says in 23, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one producing a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And there's been people that come to me that also are uncertain. Am, am I a follower of Jesus? And I've watched their life. <laughs> I've been like, yeah. Like, I, I have been ridiculously impacted by your life. Because we all have those times when we, when we wonder, when we're in dark spaces. The challenge here that Jesus is presenting people is, is one that they are meant to ask themselves. Where did you fall? Where do you fall? What's your soil like? This is a hard question, and Jesus is putting it to you. In Matthew 13, 44, one of my favorite, if not my favorite parable, um, it describes what it looks like when someone falls in good soil, and is this. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. 
right? It might not be easy when you first see it. You might not, it might be like a parable that needs to be understood and it's been hidden. But then it says it gets discovered. Then a man found it. And when he found it, it says he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold everything and bought that field, right? This is what good soil looks like. It's when, when you have discovered the king and you have surrendered all other allegiances you have and so you can serve the king of kings and the lord of lords. You found it and so you surrender all other allegiances, surrender all other allegiances and you pledge your allegiance completely to the king of kings and the lord of lords to follow him and to serve him. And, and what your life produces for each of you will look different. Right, so some 100, some 60, some 30-fold. It's not that, that you compare yourself to me or the next person next to you. But what you will start experiencing is fruitfulness in your life. So where do you fall? What soil are you? I encourage you guys this week to pray about that. Not in a way where there's condemnation, because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But I want you to ask, do I see fruit in my life? And if not, that isn't means of condemnation. (laughs) That's a means of revelation. Right? By the grace of God, He's revealed to you That, and if there is a desire, if there's a hunger and thirst for righteousness in your life, that is evidences of grace in your life, and that is awesome. So this isn't, this is not, don't leave going, that guy just told me I'm not a Christian. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is encouraging you to plant yourself in good, to be good soil. Because I, I believe, right, it says here that, it says that, there are those who do not hear because they don't have ears to hear and they don't see because they don't have eyes to see. And we don't know who's who in the scripture until some go to Jesus. And so, so really, the whole parable, what it's doing is it's, it's pointing us back to the word himself who can make all things known. And so the call at the end of this isn't you to just like go back in isolation and figure this out. It's to go to the word, Jesus. And... and I had this, so I write my notes. I don't look at them much, but I do have notes. So if I go really crazy, I get to look back at them. And, and I literally have like 100 exclamation points by 1 John 1. Um, and if you turn there with me, this is where we're going to close out here. 1 John 1. Because I think this is a beautiful, beautiful uh, insight into what we've been talking about. John says this. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you, the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship 
is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And so the, the testimony, after Jesus shared His parables, you have one that heard John, a disciple, and he goes, I heard, I saw, and what I want to give to you is what I experienced. And what I experienced wasn't this momentary flash in the plan, pan truth, but what it was was the word of life, eternal life, which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. And we proclaim this to you so that you may have fellowship with us in our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and he, he says, like, and, and the reason why I'm sharing this is because it's like joy. It's massive joy in me, like the person who found the treasure hidden in the field, and with joy they sold everything for that treasure so they could have it. What's beautiful here is he points us back, not to a parable. He doesn't just tell another parable, but he says, I want to point you to the word of life, Jesus So what soil are you? The real question is, will you or will you not go to the word of life, Jesus? And ask him yourself. Not to figure it out on your own. Not to, not to just flip through this book and, and try to figure it out. But to go to the word of life himself, Right? And, and the challenge of this, this sounds simple, but the challenge is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us when He saw His glory. But it says, but, but those that were His own did not receive Him. Though the whole world was made through Him, He walked past them. And so I believe with all my heart that again this morning, as it's been my joy to proclaim this truth to you, that Jesus is making Himself available to you. The word of life. And so, as we pray for ourselves and pray for our church that we will be good soil, let's go from here and seek Him. Not the effects of His ministry, but seek Him Himself, right? Seek Jesus. That He would make these things known to us. That He would make Himself known to us in a miraculous, powerful, incredible way. That we would acknowledge him as king and set aside all the other things we've been serving just to have him, to hunger and thirst after him and participate in his kingdom. So guys, my prayer for us as we go from here is this. That we as individuals and we as a church can look at our lives and see how we're connected to him. Because I think that's available to us. I think we'll be able to look at our lives and we can say, I've flourished because I've connected to him. And, and if you cannot do that, my challenge to you this morning is to, to go to Jesus, and, but also go with one another. Like if, honestly, I don't have a lot of time, but if 50 of you guys came and were like, Daniel, let's talk, I want to like, live a fruitful life, I would make time for every single one of you. I would encourage you also to find other people because 50 people would also take a lot of time for myself. So, <laughs> so talk about it. Am I being fruitful? Is my life bearing fruit? 
And what you see in 1 John, where John goes, I am telling you this because my joy is just crazy overflowing, encouraging you guys to have fellowship with Jesus. Guys, this is possible for you. Take advantage of this. Go to Jesus himself. Don't just try to interpret his words on your own. Um, Because he does love you so much. So pray with me and we'll worship him together. God, I know (laughs) some of us here are still like that child who just is terrified by the waves. And maybe some of us have forgotten how terribly fearful and awesome you are. But for both, for all of us, God, I pray that we can choose to grab a hold of your hand, to let you terrify our hearts with your bigness and greatness, but also feel the security of you just saying how much you Absolutely love us. God, I pray for these people in this church that we will have the joy of seeing fruit in our lives. That we won't be choked out by the worries of this world, but that deceitfulness of wealth that will always tell us to relax and just seek comfort. We will hold your hand and see you. God, in your mercy, by your goodness, give us eyes to see and ears to hear so we don't waste this life, this beautiful life you've given us. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Love you guys.